Hi, I'm Nigel Williams, and this is What an Office, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Because we had, um, we even had runners sort of peering through the window, sort of looking at. Uh, there was just a sense of this is good. Even with the pilot. Even with the pilot, yeah. So this is uh, this is what Ricky was doing quite a lot. Uh, that was towards the early part of uh, the office, and then it just got worse and worse and worse. And then Chris Martin brought me my apple crumble and custard. Is my claim to fame. <laughs> and then was on the plane out there ready to set up my edit suite in David Crane's back garden. David Crane wrote and produced Friends. Hi and welcome to episode four of What an Office the Podcast. This time I'm delighted to say we hear from editor Nigel Williams. He spent countless hours in an edit suite shaping the sitcom with Stephen Merchant and Ricky Gervais. Although Nigel is too modest to admit it, the three of them developed a new way of editing comedy. The office's awkward pauses, agonising moments and the mixing of the mundane with the hilarious changed comedy forever. Nigel worked intimately with the two and gives us a unique insight into their vision and working styles. You join us as we sat down at an editing suite in Soho. Nigel, thank you very, very much for uh, agreeing to sit down with me. No worries. Sorry it took so long. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. In this lovely surroundings, this amazing uh, edit suite. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you've just caught me at the end of a day editing a new Lee Mack show, which is uh, it's looking good and funny and goes out in about a month's time. Hopefully people will watch it. Absolutely. Well, I'll watch it. Well, um, and I, now I've got a couple of million listeners uh, on the podcast, <laughs> so uh, the ratings are going to shoot up. <laughs> yeah, do you want to just tell us quickly what it's about, in case people are interested? Um, its unique uh, selling point is that it's a real-time comedy, so the half hour of Lee Mack is actually half an hour of, of his day, and the camera basically follows him in and out and round the street and up and through the ferry and up and down and um so there are edits in it it's not like 1917 where it's all one shot but uh it's all um it's all set within uh, real time and it's lee mack doing something that he hasn't done before which is sort of quite rude and quite a long way away from not going out which is what my mum loves him for i'm not sure she's gonna love this quite as much <laughs> you should send her a reel of all the outtakes i'm sure she'd like that yeah it's so rude but um <laughs> yeah anyways i'm enjoying it <laughs> yeah well we, as you know we've had three uh, actors on on the podcast and it's all been fascinating but i've been working hard to try and get someone from uh, post-production or someone from production um actually on the podcast because people may or may not know that tv is such a, a collaborative thing isn't it you obviously got the actors and the writers but you know You've got the director, assistant director, um, sound, uh, lights, um, all sorts of people, including an well, editor. No, well, the most important, right. editor. Yeah. <laughs> Forget the director and the yeah. sound guys. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, of course, yeah. It, and um, yeah, it's a very collaborative process, but uh, this is sort of the final end of it, really, uh, where all that stuff, all the hard work of shooting on the studio all the rushes come to me and then we start sort of trying to mould it into something that is hopefully viewable yeah. and funny. 
Yeah, so um, when people see the word editor, they might not actually know exactly what it is. You just give us a bit of background. Yeah, well, in broad terms, um, so the uh, the script has been written. The director has his vision of how that script is going to be in his head. He'll go out and shoot it. And then the day after each day's shoot, the rushes come to me. And often I won't even have a guide from the director of how he wants it put together. I'll do my own cut called a rough cut. And then by the time the director comes into the edit suite, maybe six weeks later, to view the episodes, there's a polished, finished rough cut of this show um, uh, called Semi-Detached. Um, and I've put music on and I've put credits on. So he can sit on the sofa and watch the first, my first cut, and then say, you made a complete hash of it, <laughs> need to start again, or that's really good. Um, we can build from there and then he'll he'll then go in so I've chosen my takes I've chosen what I think is funny but then he'll go in and say okay but I had this in mind for this shot and you've missed the joke on this but what you did here was really funny which I didn't really ever think about so there's um, there's a sort of give and take but I get to do my first pass which is always exciting and very nerve-wracking because because as soon as they sit down and watch it, it can go either one way or the other. But most of the time, you get it get it right. And how many times have you had it where um, they literally come in and say, that's absolutely perfect? Has that ever happened? No, it's never <laughs> going to happen, even if it was perfect. Is that your dream, no. that one day they'll come in no. and say you're a genius? No, because it's their job to, to not do that, to be able to sit in the edit suite for... Basically, you've got um, a week of me doing a rough cut on my own, this is roughly how the schedule works. And then a week of fine cutting with the director per episode. So um, this Lee Mack show, I've done my first uh, week's edit on it, which is all me. And then uh, Ben Palmer, the director, will then have his week on it. Uh, and then it goes off to the BBC and then we might get a few more notes and then it's locked, is the idea. It can overrun and for The Office we did overrun, but... Um, yeah, How much sure. did you overrun by for the office? I, I can't remember, but I think it because it was such fine detail. I mean, we were spending like a whole morning just looking for reactions of Tim, like just one reaction of Tim. I remember spending a whole morning just going through rushes and trying things, and you know, look to camera and then back again. And uh, so it was it was kind of like that all the way through. And Steve and Ricky were so like leave no stone unturned so every everything they filmed had to be gone through with a fine tooth code and I think that stood me in really good stead as an editor because I now go through and I do work with directors not mentioning any names not and certainly not this one Ben Palmer but I do work with directors who kind of just want to churn it out and move on and not and and to me I find that really frustrating and I'm sure that all came from Steve and Ricky in the office where I was kind of, because it was so early in my career, go through everything, just mind the funny and every little detail is, um, is uh, you're trying to find and make better. So when you, because you've obviously worked with so many people since the office, do you reflect <clears throat> now that they were, had more attention to detail than your average uh, directors then? Did, yes. Did they have such clear vision? Yeah, absolutely. They did. Yeah. I mean, I do work with directors that also have that clear vision and, and attention to detail. And it is refreshing. I re really love working with those people. 
because I want to go home and at the end of the three month edit and go, yeah, we really, we really uh, churned out the best product that we could. But um, sometimes you don't. But but yeah, like I say, definitely Steve and Ricky were like so focused and knew exactly what they wanted. Okay, well, hopefully we'll come on to that um, in a bit more detail um, in due course. But um, would you mind just telling us how you actually got into it and how you became an editor? Yeah, so um, when I was at school, I was always obsessed with film. Um, I wasn't that academic, but film was always something I could always remember what director did what and what dates film came, films came out, whatever. So it was just something that, I don't know, it just when I was younger, that was the thing I spent all my pocket money on going to movies. And I wanted to get into it when I left uh, school. So I wrote various letters. I tried to get an apprenticeship at Pinewood and was sort of bottom of the queue. I didn't do brilliantly at school. I kind of got five O levels. Um, so, um, yeah, so uh, I then went to Watford College uh, and did a very general course, which had a bit of photography, a bit of printing, a bit. So it was kind of a foundation course, I guess, but two years. And within that, they did a bit of editing and it was VHS to VHS editing. So every time you sort of went down a few generations, you could barely see the picture because it degenerated so badly. But I've just really hooked into editing from that uh, moment on. I then left college wrote maybe 80 letters and it was all by hand in those days you know sticking a stamp on and I got two replies back from post-production houses and one of them was come for a job as a runner so um, I got that job started on four thousand pounds a year which uh, even back then was very little (laughs) I mean it sounds ridiculous now but back then it was wasn't uh, great and uh, managed to get a job in this post-production house and um, was lucky enough then to be able to stare over editors' shoulders and say, I want to be able to do that one day. And um, yeah, it was a brilliant sort of in to what I eventually wanted to do. But starting at the bottom is, is for me, was the way to go. And I think a lot of people have done it that way. Yeah, I suppose it's more modern, it's more common in the kind of <coughs> modern times for people to go off to uni and study you know various different degrees and then come in at a different level but you think they might be better off saving their time and starting at the bottom well i would say people with degrees who are straight out of college i'm sure they still have to start you know a lot of the runners i see now they've come out of uni but they're still making tea and coffee and starting at the but i i always say the best people in tv are the people that have been runners i've now offended a lot of people but it's kind of true because you've got that grounding and you know you've always got that kind of I don't know the respect for people who have you know I used to be there once and and always willing to help other other people who sort of want to work their way through the ranks and it's a brilliant industry for that I'm really proud of it yeah so so you kind of uh, you you did your course and what on your on IMDB I've got your first gig down here in 1993 as Jean Renoir, part two, Hollywood and Beyond documentary. Yeah, that's IMDb rubbish. <laughs> that wasn't me. Really? <laughs> no, it wasn't. I've tried to tell them to take it off, but that's they bizarre, won't. Isn't it? It's so di- it's easy to put stuff on IMDb, but it's so difficult to take it off. So yeah, I don't know. Who, who is I that? Nigel Williams. It, yeah, it it's might be a, it might be a great show. <laughs> I'll take credit for it. <laughs> so, well, the second uh, earliest one then is. Um, Chubby Brown goes down under and other sticky regions. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's the movie. My first movie. It actually was a movie. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I so I d- kind of dabbled in comedy, 
after I became an edit assistant, I then started on shows like, do you remember Challenge Annika? Well, was, yeah. yeah. It was kind of a, um, I don't know, they, she got a challenge every week and it was uh, a bit like DIY SOS or whatever it's called. She was on Strictly, and, wasn't she? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, But this show was her... Um, one show I had to edit was her um, building an adventure playground and then Prince, the Prince of Wales was coming in to open it. So it was all kind of um, up to the wire and this is the power of editing. And it was one of the things when the director, you know, in reality, these builders had finished this adventure playground and we're sitting around having a fag and a cup of tea waiting for the Prince of Wales to come in. But then we edit it that he's literally coming through the gate and they're still hammering the, <laughs> the nails in and putting the slide up and all the rest of it. So the power of editing for me, I thought, wow, that is brilliant. And then I went on to a show, um, a quiz show, which is the first time that I used Avid, which is the um, computer-based editing rather than tape to tape. Um, and I did a show called The Days Today, which was um, like conveyor belt um, turning out a quiz show with Martin Lewis, the newsreader. And it was all about what happened on that day. And... Um, and I really learnt my crafting because it was with an audience and it was all how to sort of weave in and out applause and timing and speed things up and multi-camera and all that. And because you had to be quite quick at doing that, I still look back on those days now and think, God, you know, I, I'm remembering techniques doing that show that are, I take with me now, which which is great. So I, so I did that um, and then I uh, I dabbled in comedy. So I did... Lee Evans, live at Wembley, uh, did a few other stand-up shows, and then the director that did Lee Evans then got Chubby Brown down under, <laughs> under which he said was going to be a movie, and it, it was a movie, but I think it only got a release up north. But I do tell people that I'm a movie editor <laughs> because of that film. And I went on a stag do once, and it was just as the film was being released, and there was a huge poster at the uh, end of Blackpool Pier, and my name was in very tiny writing just yeah. underneath it. So even then, I was very proud of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but if uh, you know Chubby Brown, you might think otherwise. Yeah, not exactly PC, I think. Mm. Um, that would be it, yeah. yeah I, I don't suppose many copies are still around. Of, uh, I bet you can see it somewhere. Yeah, we can it's probably it on. Yeah, you can borrow my VHS if you want. <laughs> <laughs> you still got the VHS? Yeah, I have, yeah. Fantastic. So, um, <coughs> what was... I've got this thing called Blunt on IMDb. What was that? That was 2000, so that was um, a year before The Office. Blunt, yeah, it was um, a kind of teenage uh, sort of Blue Peter. It was it was kind of um, young school kids making their own news reports. Mm. And it was, uh, yeah, that was great fun to do. And again, one of the first jobs that I did on Avid. But yeah, not, not that funny, but good fun. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, so then the office comes along, the, the pilot. So how, how did you come to be involved with that then? It was purely the fact that I was willing to work weekends because <laughs> I think they wanted to do it on the cheap and work over a weekend. Uh, so, yeah, two guys came in, said to my boss, we've got a pilot, we want to uh, edit over the weekend. And my boss said, oh, Nigel's done a bit of comedy, he can do it. And the two guys were Steve and Ricky. Um, and uh, so it was Anil Gupta was the exec on it, who ended up being the exec producer on it. But he uh, first directed that very first pilot. So it, I was with him for 
most of the weekend, just him and me. And then Steve and Ricky came in towards the end of it. And then they had very strong opinions on what direction it should go in. Were they different to Anna Yes. Well, it was interesting because Anna had like a voiceover on it from do you know John Nettles yeah. the director John Nettles yeah. so it would be like um, Midsummer Murders yeah, yeah 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 so it would start with a voiceover of David Brent is 42 years old he's worked at Wernham Hogg for blah 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 here he is and so it, it was kind of voiceover led rather than this naturalistic way of the story opening up um, and I don't think Steve and Ricky, I can't remember whether it was when the series got commissioned that they decided to bin it or whether at the time it was like, I think there were a few battles with the BBC about whether we do Steve and Ricky's version or, or is that uh, for the, the pilot? BBC. Yeah, for the very first pilot, which I think is available. Have you ever seen it? I have, yeah. Oh, I, seen, I think there were clips on uh, the Office's okay. DVD. Oh, right, Which maybe. I think Ricky not, not described whole... it as one of the worst received pilots of all time. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. But not the whole thing. The whole thing wasn't on there, I don't think. No, but I remember being... I, I thought it was brilliant. I, I really remember thinking, yeah. God, this is great. Because we had... Um, we even had runners sort of peering through the window, sort of looking at... Uh, the, there was just a sense of, this is good. Even with the pilot? Going, even with the pilot, yeah. So it was interesting. Yeah. So, I, so what were your first impressions of, of Ricky and Steve when they walked in the door? <laughs> well, yeah, it's only really when you get to know them that the madness <laughs> seeps in. So I think it was all quite professional for a, a long time ago, 20 years ago. But I do remember it being quite um, professional and, uh, uh, yeah, not, not a laugh a minute because I think we were all under a bit of pressure to get it done in in quite a short time but once you get to know Steve and Ricky um, they relax and you relax and then it all goes downhill from there <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the, the pilot gets made and um, the BBC must have liked it and there was a good reception then you were invited to, to do yeah I mean I, I, yeah they were really loyal because they could have gone to uh, anyone else but I think because I'd done an okay job with the pilot um, they they gave me the gig and at the time it was you know no one thought oh my god he's got the office how amazing because obviously no one had really seen it but um, so we made the six uh, and then uh, and then it went off to the BBC and again I don't think the BBC were that enamoured with it they were sort of okay but it was only series two where it, when it really started ramping up and the critical acclaim came in and you started hearing about it being talked on on the bus or on the tube. It was amazing. It was an amazing thing to be involved in. But what I really want to know from you is how uh, how did they communicate their vision to you? Because it was very, very new. It changed comedy. And they were doing something really exciting. And how did they communicate that to you? Well, I do remember. So we talked about Spinal Tap a lot because it was one of my favourite films when I was at college. And it, it, I guess it was sowing that seed of Spinal Tap, tap took a lot, a, a lot of liberties. They would kind of lull you in that it was a documentary. But if you actually analyse Spinal Tap, there's no way that the group could walk into a banquet hall and then the cameraman runs upstairs and sees them walking through that same door. So 
it's lulling you into the first few, um, you know, first 10 minutes of the original office. It's very much docu-style. And then you start realising that you can kind of get away with a few more cheats and a few more, um, you know, yeah. things that you'd never be really able to do in a, in a documentary because it's all single camera and you haven't got like multiple cameras all yeah. facing around the room. So uh, Spinal Tap was a, a reference, I guess. Um, but they had a very clear image and uh, a very clear idea of what they uh, they wanted to achieve, and it was their idea and um, slightly different from the pilot, but it's what worked. Mm. So, did you, would you say that you latched onto that quite quickly? Uh, did it take you a while to to get what they were trying to do? I, I honestly can't remember, but I, I I believe because I was so young, I think I hadn't had a lot to compare it to. So I've done a lot of comedies now. That I mean, this is the beauty of editing because every job that comes in, you're not quite sure. You know, you, you try and apply your same rules, but the rules are always changing in comedy. The first cut I did of this, uh, the Lee Max show, it was quite tight, and now if you watch it, it's quite you know, it's, it's almost office style where it's big breaths and awkward moments and whatever. Um, yeah. Is that because um, the director wanted it to be let out a bit, or yeah, you yeah, it? Uh, yeah? I normally do my rough cuts because most of the notes you'll get after doing a rough cut of your first pass is like tight, tight, tight. Keep it tight, you know. Keep that energy going. You don't want the first viewing to be sort of people looking at their watches, thinking, "God, this is a bit dull." So I, I tend to sometimes over tighten, and then it's easier to open it up rather than sort of tighten it as you go along right but, yeah but you have to leave all the dialogue in do you <clears throat> um, yes for my part I would never dream of cutting any scripts because that's not my job so I piece everything together even if it ends up being 10 minutes over its original running time put everything in there and then it's that's why you'll then take a step back the directors come in and then say okay we can lose that line that joke's not working and whatever and then you sort of work together to to mould it but it's a great job you've got to try it yeah absolutely <laughs> so your, your process I mean we've touched on it a bit there but um, like for example for this episode here or actually let's talk about The Office because that's what the podcast is about uh, <laughs> yeah good idea an episode of The Office um, how do the rushes come in and how do you organise them and how do you make sure how do you edit it into 29 minutes whatever it is yeah I can't quite remember I think it was two, two yeah it was two cameras on The Office no it wasn't Sorry, scrap that. Single. It was all single camera. Nowadays, I think I'm pretty sure. Yeah, there might have been the odd day where there were two cameras, but I'm pretty sure it was all single camera. For extras, it wasn't, but for the office, I might be really misremembering here, but I'm pretty sure that's that's right. Um, so uh, yeah, and then I would spend most of, and I still do this now. Most of my time is spent organising rushes before I do my first edit it can take me like a whole morning just to go through slightly OCD labeling everything grouping everything character names and once I've got all those jigsaw pieces clearly labeled I can then start the process of assembling a scene and um, I'm quite quick at assembling um, once I've done my organizing but it's the organizing that I know editors that don't do that and that's fine but for me it's like making a jigsaw with half the pieces missing. I so they just keep everything in their head, those guys. They don't... I think so, yeah. That sounds crazy. Because if you hand that over to someone else, they're going to really struggle, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. But we were sort of learning at the jo on the job. I mean, 
towards the end of it, Steve Steve uh, Merchant was really interested in editing. So he'd sort of be asking me, so how do you do this? And what, what does this button do and whatever? And then certainly when extras started, he was doing more and more of the editing. Like I'd finish and then he'd sort of take over and do a bit and, while Ricky uh, abused me. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, so what, what, what was the difference between Ricky and Steve mm. in the edit room then? Uh, well, other, other than um, we'll, we'll get uh, on to the taping yeah, and all that stuff. Uh, I, I, I've always said Steve was really good at the, the narrative, the story, the, um, the, the weaving in and out of the love story and changing things in the edit. And I, I think, I, I'm sure the conversation was brought up in the edit where I said something like, uh, oh, Steve, you're so good at... And, at doing the narrative and knowing when to and then Ricky said yeah but it wouldn't be very funny <laughs> <laughs> which which is kind of true but that, that's why they complimented each other and to be honest the day normally went that Steve would come in with me early we would do edit and assemble the scenes and then Ricky would come in towards the end of the day and watch with a clean head what we'd done and be able to kind of focus on and he'd see things that we hadn't seen because we'd been viewing it all day. So it, they really complemented each other. I mean, nothing to do with the fact that Ricky didn't get out of bed till 11 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I, I think in the in the making of that they did, and whenever that was, I don't know, 2010 or 11 or something, uh, Stephen Merchant said that he always saw the, the Tim and Dawn thing as, as like the most important part of it that he wanted to have running through the middle. Um, so that kind of... Yeah, matches I what think that's saying. right. Yeah, yeah. But but we did always edit around Ricky's performance, so everything was focused on David Brent, and then you'd sort of slot in all the other performances around that. But we spent an awful lot of time doing that, and then you'd build in the reactions and the photocopier and the you know all the uh, stuff that really made it unique. <laughs> So what were the biggest challenges of working of working on The Office? Because I'm just thinking about like editing, watching it, you know, you've got a, f- a photo printer and you've got people sitting at their desks, whatever. We'll get on to like some examples of really clever, I think, editing. But um, you've got one camera, you've got a few GVs. Did you feel like you didn't have a great deal of stuff to work with or what was it like? Again, because I was kind of new to it, it didn't seem that... Uh, abnormal really but looking back on it now I think yeah we definitely did some late nights struggling to make scenes work and uh, and with the single camera thing I do remember we got slightly bolder towards the end of series two where um, because it's avid you can kind of cut round people so there was a, a long corridor shot and we wanted to join a take just as this long corridor shot happened so someone would walk in front of the camera and then we'd be able to sort of rotoscope around that person and then join the, to another take. So I think it was in the Christmas special we did that. And I can always see it. There's a sort of a slight bump in it. <laughs> really? Um, but, Which, do you yeah. remember where exactly that I is? I can't remember. I'm sure up. it was Tim and Dawn at the end of the corridor. Right. But um, And then there was an, other tricks like, uh, because our camera man, um, camera operator Andy Hollis was so good, uh, it would be, you know, you'd have the camera focused on Ricky and then it would whip across to Mackenzie and then we'd do an edit right in the middle of that whip just where the... And because it was consistent, you could 
join takes that way so you have one take from one and one from the other and with extras we got even bolder where because it was locked off shots you'd then start dividing up the screen with you know one performance from one take and one from the other and because the camera didn't move you could just put a wipe down the middle so not only are you choosing takes but you're choosing performances within that take um, and we did a lot more of that towards the end of it but you know we do, you think, of, do you think that improves the actual output or do you think that puts too much indecision and too many options in people's minds no you're always going for performance so I think it's uh, it, it we, we do it a lot now but back then it was like oh this is good yeah. I, I heard um, I think uh, George Lucas on the middle Star Wars films did a yeah. lot of that stuff I, I was watching the making of that recently and um, actually it was the making of um, episode one and I think it was that one. And it was like, honest, it was like the first time they'd probably done it. And there was, you could see the look on the editor's face thinking, my job just got t- two times yeah, harder. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Because yeah. we'll use that performance here. And they were slowing yeah. him down and speeding the other guys up. And Yeah, I think, but we, we do it. I'm doing that now in the Lee Max show. Um, with kind of taking lines audio. So you imagine it's just a radio edit. And you're just dropping these different emphases of lines into their mouths. Sometimes you get away when with it. When they're on camera or when they're off camera? Yeah, yeah, no, when they're absolutely on camera. So oh, they wow. could say, because actors are so good and they can, act, actors are so good at just uh, sort of being consistent that you can sort of different inflections are really easy just to place in their mouth. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> Blimey. So obviously, yeah, <clears throat> another challenge working on The Office was um, the uh, attention of a distracted Ricky Gervais. <laughs> So yeah. If you've watched the uh, if you've watched the extras of uh, of the office and extras, like it, it shows you kind of being dressed up as a baby. Yeah, uh, that was extras. Yeah. You're wrapped up in in tape and yeah. all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. What, what, just, do, what do you think about that? Now I'm a bit embarrassed by it. Back then I thought it was quite cool, but I do look back on it now and think I'm not sure I'd have done that to to an editor, that, but. Um, no it was uh, I mean it kind of added there was a lot of fun in the edit but um, I can't watch those, that taping stuff now my mates at the time were like oh, are you sure about that that's like uh, that's hash, hashtag me too stuff <laughs> but it all started I mean I brought some things here for you to um, have a look at I know oh it's God. a podcast but so when I first started working with Ricky this is the sort of thing that he would kind of draw at um you know just because he was bored and just sitting around so that is me steve and ricky as a sort of caricature uh or when when we would get to 2020 and looking at that he's not far out is it (laughs) (laughs) i think i I do look a bit like that yeah you haven't aged very much yeah thanks very much Obviously not I- not ideal for a podcast, but um, no, no, we'll have but, to. Um, th- I'll, I'll tweet that. Well, why don't you look through those, uh, George, oh, and um, wow. see what you think? So, the, uh, George is just looking at some other stuff that Ricky drew. <laughs> um, feel okay. free to describe it, George, if well, you're. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we've we've got a, uh, a little cartoon here of you with with big bulbous cheeks. Well, that's me in real life, so don't take the piss. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we've got some um, some. Male genitalia. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. More, more male genitalia. Uh, that's Steve. <laughs> yeah, a bit of um, well, is it called fellatio? Uh, more willies, more willies, more. <laughs> so this is uh, this is what Ricky was doing quite a lot. Uh, that was towards the early part of uh, 
the office and then it just got worse and worse and worse. But I found all these the other day. I was going through um, clearing out office stuff and um, and found all these. That's quite good. Yeah, you're, you're laughing, but it's a podcast. Oh, that's true. Okay, well, we'll have to try and decide what is actually uh, shareable here. Yeah. God, these are actually... <laughs> You really caught me off guard there. Yeah, good. That was the idea. Oh, blimey. But, um, You're thrown. So I'm guessing you were paid by, by the day. So you must have thought, right, another two hours getting taped up. We can push on until tomorrow. Um, I'm not sure I was back then, actually. I think I was staff. It was only, only um, after I'd done the office and extras that I thought, if I don't go freelance now, I never will. So riding off the back of it, I, um, I then uh, left the company that I was at and um, sort of, went out into the big wide world on my own and I've never looked back. I love it because it means I can pick and choose and um, yeah, it's great. Go to America, which I'd never been allowed to do if yeah. I was staff. Well, we're going to hear about that in a second. But I, I decided to watch probably my favourite episode, which is series one, episode four, which you may or may not remember is the training day episode. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he gets the guitar out and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. I thought it was a good example. It's well edited, isn't it? That's what I mean. <laughs> you see, but remember, you're dealing with uh, one camera and, uh, you know, you haven't got a massive range of GVs or whatever. Um, but it's brilliant. But, like, th- this is an example of um, where an edit point makes a joke. So do you remember when he's doing the Lady Diana song? He's playing the Lady Diana song to Dawn. Yeah. Uh, and then he plays Every Breath You Take. And he's he's there kind of every breath you take every move you make yeah and you cut it right there oh you're right yeah so, so if you'd actually let that roll every dun, dun, oh, the I joke see. gets yeah, yeah. less and less funny then it starts the second verse still you know less and less funny but, but the fact that you just cut it right there yeah that was probably it made Steve a joke. And Ricky <laughs> <laughs> it was probably Steve I can't yeah. say, I, I I can't remember who it it must have been them I'm sure. Yeah, but, <laughs> but the, thanks, um, thanks for thinking good, it was it's me. It's a good cut, anyway. Thanks. But also, probably a better example is um, is letting a joke breathe, um, because you know we see a lot of TV where it's kind of cut, 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 and and things quickly move on. If you've seen the, the most recent Star Wars film, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many uh, edit points, but mm. um, it's basically. Do you remember when they're doing the role play, Rowan the trainer and? David Brent are doing the role play of how, how to deal with a complaint in the hotel. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah There's been a rape up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And sure. after that, uh, they switch roles, and Brent says, uh, "What room are you in?" And he says, "362." And then Brent says, "There is no 362 in the hotel. Sometimes the complaints will be false." Yeah, right. And then you go <laughs> tight on Rowan's face, wide of the room of everyone looking stunned. And then you go outside an exterior shot of a window for five whole seconds because you're letting that joke just sit. Right, right. So that I think that's quite an impressive... Yeah, it was all me. I'll take credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember, honestly. Yeah. I was saying to you earlier, I actually haven't revisited watching The Office. I watched it go out when it went out and when everyone was talking about it, and that's the last time I saw it. I tried putting it on for my kids... Uh, couple of years ago and they thought it was rubbish <laughs> that is mad yeah that's crazy but um but that that we've got to remember when you were making that kind of those kind of cuts and on the awkward pauses and you know the big long gaps the, the gvs whatever you were doing a new style of editing so we shouldn't kind of we shouldn't poo-poo it too much no, no I, hey i would never poo-poo it no i th- i think it was great but um i you know it 
we got into a zone and it was, you know, it was the office and it's what we did, but I can't take credit for it. Uh, you know, I, I would have done the cuts and I would have done the assemblies, but it, it would have been Steve and Ricky that would have had that original vision, even though Steve wrote me a brilliant email the other day saying the man who invented the yes. cuts in the office or something, but it's not true. That's the, <laughs> that's the reference on your website, isn't oh, it? Oh, is it? Yeah, so Stephen Merchant says, you know, you you took a documentary style of editing and took it to the office, yeah, he, creating the genre, like changing the genre or something. He's being super nice. Oh, no, I, he, he knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? So he must have been mm. talking sense. But do you remember that um, the VHS and the training day episode of Peter, is it Peter Purvis? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you edit the VHS? Yes, yeah. Yes. Because, uh, and the reason I remember that is because they were filming it and then they said, we need this by the end of the week to be able to play in to... On VHS. To them watching it. So right. it was a real scramble to get it made and done in time. And yeah. That was so, hilarious. Yeah, it was great. Because I remember looking at old 70s VHSs yeah. and it was all the beiges and browns. And uh, How did we you even get did that a effect? title Did, did you use an old we? camera or did you I think you we put passed a- it through lots of VHSs to get that sort of degradation. From what See, I that, remember. That's like Abbey Road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was, uh, I remember that really clearly, actually. One of the few things I remember really clearly. Wow. That's pretty <coughs> cool, actually. Um, yeah, that's really cool. There was another... I know you're going to say you're not involved with this, but there's another example of joke, dull shot, joke, dull shot. But the dull shots are actually... Adding their own dull shots, as in computer screen. Sorry, dull shots. Oh, dull. Oh, yeah. GV. Sorry. But, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Most yeah. people might not know what. GV yeah, of course, is, but, yeah. But but the the GVs that you're using are um, they're actually building their own storyline because you've basically got uh, you got uh, Donna and Dawn talking to each other because Dawn's had an argument with with Lee. Donna says, "I'll find you a new bloke," and Dawn says, "It was just an argument." She says, "Well, I'm just saying." She says, "Thanks. That's nice." So that's a joke. And then you go to Rowan, the trainer, who's sitting in the um, in the room, the training room, eating crisps and reading the paper. Yeah. So very boring. Okay, yeah. But it shows where the character is at. Right. Then we go to the Goodnight Sweetheart Diana song. Um, then you go to Rowan sitting, looking very, very bored, almost with his head in his hands. Yeah, I remember that. So yeah. the character's moving on. Yeah. And then we go to another joke where uh, Tim says, he's talking about Dawn leaving. Um she doesn't want to spend the rest of her life in paper. And Gareth says, not a waste, actually. Not a waste. Look at Jeff Lamp. He's 42. He's got a Porsche. That's from paper. <laughs> Another joke. Right. And then you go to Rowan, who's basically lying down in the, in the training room. He's so bored of this whole day. And so you've got, like, joke, dull, joke, dull. But you're telling two different stories at the same time? Yeah, that was all me. <laughs> I, I, I really can't remember. I would love to take credit for it all, but it's so Steve and Ricky. It's, it really sounds like it was, it was probably scripted like that. The one thing about the office that I do remember is those talking heads. So we would have all the scenes stuck up, post-its on the wall, um, so as scripted. And then by the end of the lock of the episode, it, a lot of it had moved around. And that was because those talking heads... And they filmed extra ones than they really needed. So we were always pulling stuff out and putting stuff in. But because they could go anywhere, it was, um, uh, you know, and you'd 
pull one out and move one in. There was a bit of a domino effect when um, when things would move around. But if you looked at the script and then you looked at the finished episodes, they were very different. So I guess that was one of the biggest challenges. It was getting the running order right. But I would suggest Steve was so good at, he was just so tuned into that ebb and flow of what really worked and the finesse and the and the love story and whatever. So yeah, it was um, it was brilliant to work on. I, you're bringing it all back now, but <laughs> yeah, it was good. <laughs> so what what were the um, what are the most <clears throat> resounding memories of of working on the office? Then what's what when you think of the office? What's the first thing you think of, other than getting taped up like a slug? Well, yeah, that was more extras. <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess uh, I, I vaguely got to know the cast and crew because I was editing in Soho and they were filming out in Twickenham, the old Thames TV studios. That was where the office was. It wasn't in the title card building. It, it was all based in uh, Teddington. So I would um, occasionally go for a set visit, which was brilliant so I got to meet Martin and Mackenzie who weren't big at all back then um got to meet them and then because it became quite a success we then had a few social things so I remember being taken to the Ivy and all the staff and a few of the key sort of HODs were all sitting around a big table at the Ivy and all on the BBC being um wined and dined because of the success of it and that was brilliant and I went to the comedy awards with Ricky um, and Steve, uh, and that was great. So it it brought me a a lot of stuff that I would never normally do. Um, in fact, I remember the day after we wrapped on the Christmas specials. I think we got taken to the Ivy, all of us, and then I was going off to Euro Disney with my family. And on the way back on the Sunday, we were coming from Disneyland Paris on the Eurostar, just coming to Waterloo, and my mum was with us, and she got up out of the carriage and started walking towards Waterloo, the exit of the train, and Lucy Davis walked towards us, and my mum saw her before I did, and she went, Oh, look, Nigel, it's Dawn! <laughs> and I shrunk because I thought, Mum, she's got a name, she's an actress, but luck- she's so lovely, Lucy. Yeah. Um, and it was all lovely, but it was one of those really cringy moments that... But um, yeah, so uh, meeting some really nice people. And then I went on just after that to do a show with Martin Freeman called The Robinsons, which was one of those shows that kind of went under the radar, but it was such a good show. Um, And uh, Martin used to come into my edit suite because I knew him from the office and that was really good. And then it led to extras and then it led to me, I guess, America. And so, yeah, yeah. it's been a brilliant it was a a great thing to do in my early career absolutely so when you moved into extras in um what was it like 2005 or something 2003 2005 anyway i don't know know. but like how was it different working on extras to the office well extras was more of a traditional uh shoot so it was two cameras it was in a studio uh we were based at pinewood Uh, And I was actually editing within Pinewood. So I was upstairs in a room and they were in the studio downstairs, which I think always works as an editor. If you can have, you can, I could run downstairs and say, oh, we need a shot of the fire alarm or something. And they'd be able to get it if, if there's that Steve and Ricky are unlikely to miss anything. But that's the sort of thing you can do. 
so it was brilliant to be included within the uh, within the cast and crew and sort of really feel involved. Um, and it was two cameras, so you'd sync up and and you had all these amazing celebrities coming in and out and um, sitting in your edit suite because Ricky would come in and annoy me, and then Jonathan Ross would come in and join in or. Um, Chris Martin, I remember, came in once and um, they went off for lunch and Ricky phoned me and said, oh, can I get you some kind of dessert from catering? And I said, oh, like, yeah, be brilliant. Just bring something. I'm too busy. And then Chris Martin brought me my apple crumble and custard. It's my <laughs> claim cool. to fame. Yeah. Did, did you have any other uh, celebrities coming in and, and, and uh, checking on you? Probably. I can't, I can't remember. Those were the two that really stood out. But I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure we had more. And I would go down, when they had big stars, I'd obviously nip down and see uh, yeah. Chris Martin playing Fix You or Kate Winslet. Or, yeah. How did you think extras compared to The Office? Uh, it, it was very different, um, uh, but really, really good. It still had those awkward moments and uh, was pretty well received by and large, yeah, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, really good. I think people that like the office will never hold it up to uh, the office, but um, no, it's incredible. And why not jump on the bandwagon when you've had that success with the office and people want to be in your show? Then it was the perfect vehicle for that. Plus, we got the opportunity to see Steve Merchant acting. <coughs> yeah. And he won a UK Comedy Award, didn't he? For his performance right? Darren Lamb. Yeah, yeah, he did, okay, yeah. Right. I thought he was hilarious. Yeah, he's yeah he's he's a brilliant actor, though. I think he's great. You know, you see him now. He's got various projects on the go now, and he's uh, fantastic. Yeah. You should watch Click and Collects for Christmas. It's great. So but I did see him in uh, Hello Ladies. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's very yeah. funny in that. Yeah, that's good, yeah. Yeah. But I also... Um, Getting back to their collaboration, I saw uh, Cemetery Junction. Oh yeah, that was I really liked. Yeah, that. I did. Yeah, that didn't do very well in the in the cinema. I but don't think it I did. Really but no, it. I thought that was a great film. Yeah, it had a really good message. Yeah, uh, and it had um, as the lead um, woman, the one who, who was in Rogue One in the end. What's yes. her name? Oh, I always forget her name. She's God. brilliant. Yeah, she is good. But I think a lot of those guys were really good, actually. So you know, we you go to extras, and then I'm looking at your stand-up stuff here. Um, we got uh, Billy Connolly, uh, Lee Evans, Ross Noble, Simon Amstel, Alan Davies, and of course the three Ricky Gervais specials as well. Yeah. Is there uh, is there a different editing style for uh, stand up? Um, broadly, there is a rhythm to it that kind of works, but occasionally there's like Stuart Lee has got a totally different way of do you know Stuart Lee, the comedian? Mm, yeah, he's great. He basically feeds off the audience, so. Normally, when a comedian tells a joke, you'd kind of go for the big laugh, you'd come out to the big wide, and then you'd get tight in again when he starts starts up again. But with Stuart Lee, he waits and looks around the room and waits for feedback. So you're sort of fighting your instincts to cut wide because you want to see his eyes and his disdain for the audience. <laughs> so uh, broadly, yes, I would say you're right, but there are occasional comedians that you don't do that for. Yeah. And then um, obviously directors want to put their different stamp on things. So you'll have a different style of, um, you know, different ways cameras are set up and things like that. Yeah. But yeah, broadly it's the same with stand up. And did any of those guys come into the edit suite with you to make sure it was cut? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I think uh, Greg Davis came in, Alan Davis. Um, 
Uh, Lee Evans, yeah, they all come in actually. They all have a final sign off, and it's not all done remotely. They normally come in and put, I guess it's so personal to them, they want to make mm. sure that. And normally, a stand up uh, gig is done where it's filmed over two nights, and then you, you compare the joke from one night to the other, mm. even if it's, um, you know, it can be like one sentence on one night and one sentence on another night, right. and then you'll kind of combine the two if it's yeah. like them on stage or you cut to an audience or whatever but and you might borrow the biggest laugh from the other one yeah well yeah exactly yeah but not the same laugh again and again yeah well <laughs> it has been nice. <laughs> so like obviously you've um we've done stand-up and the office and it's comedy isn't it it's almost always generally comedy yeah why, why yeah. do you kind of specialize in comedy do you know what? You kind of get branded in the industry as a comedy editor because I have tried, you know, dipping my toe in doing drama and it's quite hard to make that change anyway. Even though I'm so lucky to do comedy, I love it, but it would be nice to do something mm. with a bit more um, clout sometimes. But a lot of my comedies do have drama in. So, you know, the office made people cry and ex- um, episodes had real drama to it, real drama beats. So it's not something that I can't do, but you just get pigeonholed, and you know you'll find it with cameramen and sound men. Mm, yeah. They once they do once they're known for doing comedy, that's you're yeah. sort of stuck there, and it's quite hard to break out. I think that's the same in a lot of industries. You get known as the something person. Oh yeah, yeah. People love a pigeonhole. You've got to get out of your your lane. Hmm. But um, but yeah, you're talking about episodes there. So Matt LeBlanc, Stephen Mangan, and Tamsin Gregg. It's about like British um, UK producers going over to America and making trying to kind of make a success of their show, wasn't it? With, with yeah, Matt it's, it's basically how the Americans butchered a very successful English British show. But you edited a great deal of that, didn't you? Can, I did all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, it was one of the best things I've done. Uh, so I, I think I was working on a hat trick show and hat trick produced episodes, and I got a call saying. There's a show that um, with Matt LeBlanc, we're going to put you up for it. What do you think? And I was like, oh, yeah, it sounds great. There's a chance you might be editing in America. And I was uh, thinking, wow, this could be brilliant. And then uh, got the job and they filmed it. They f- All season one was filmed over here, apart from two days where they were filming a couple of lookalikes going around LA with wigs on, <laughs> with curly wigs of Stephen Mangan um, in a car. But everything else was filmed over here and it was all green screened. So uh, the effects... That's series, series one? Series one, yeah. yeah. So the effects bill was huge. It was. It would have been cheaper to fly everyone out there. But uh, So um, yeah, I, uh, I did series one, which was brilliant, and f- edited the rough cut here and then was on the plane out there ready to set up my edit suite in David Crane's back garden. David Crane wrote and produced friends um and jeffrey claric uh the two of them uh lived together and co-wrote it and i was on the plane thinking what the hell are you doing this is crazy (laughs) but um but it was it was brilliant so rewarding and um you know i loved it and they flew my family over and we i was in santa barbara and that went on for six uh five seasons so um all the stars aligned and it was brilliant and I've made some great friends out there and they were over a couple of weeks ago and I met them for lunch over here and it was great and then you were staying in their guest house I was editing in their guest house I was living just up the road in Santa Barbara but yeah I was at the bottom of their 
Garden, which is this amazing villa in a place called Montecito. And they said, I'll use the pool whenever you like. And the kids had come around for wow. lunch. And yeah, it was just... You must have just been like pinching yourself. Yeah, feels like a bit of a dream now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty amazing. And that was quite well. Was it, how was it received in over the Atlantic? Because it was it was quite well received here, wasn't it? Yeah, it didn't. I don't it think didn't it take set off the massively. world on fire, but yeah. um, I think part of that is because it wasn't publicised very well. A lot of people um, didn't really know about it. The people that found it, and I'd recommend people watch it on Netflix because it is so good. Mm. You know, I get messages now saying, "God, this is, why? Why do we not know about this show?" It, the quality of the writing is just brilliant, and it's really funny. Uh, but uh, over in America, it did okay, but it was on Showtime, which is kind of a an HBO-type channel subscription, and they don't care about ratings. You know, they, they put it on the side of a bus and whatever, but they committed to it, and they did five seasons, and it's the perfect five seasons. It's just so beautiful. The story arcs are brilliant, and it ends really in a satisfying way. Um, but, yeah, people that watch it love it, but not enough people watched it. Yeah, well, that's sort of the nature of the game, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's from you win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but you did uh, the Tracy Ullman, uh, Tracy Ullman's show, and Tracy breaks the news. Yeah, there's a quite a funny clip on your website of her kind of messing around with you in the oh, edit yeah. suite. She yeah, seems why, very nice. Why is it with my face and people <laughs> wanting to abuse me? <laughs> I've just got one of those faces. You're just likable, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, she's brilliant. She's such a nice person. Um, that was uh, quite a crazy edit because it was topical. So the sketches were being written maybe four days before it went out on air. So we would film them maybe on the Monday and it would be broadcast on the Friday. And it would be such a mad scramble to try and edit. And we were editing till like two or three in the morning just to try and get these topical... Because it was literally Theresa May would say something and then they'd build a sketch, write a sketch around it. And it would she'd have said it like two days before we started filming. So, um, brilliant. And I love those high-pressure gigs. Um, yeah, quite... I, again, I think the BBC it didn't quite get the viewers because it was quite expensive to make. Um, fast turnaround. But, uh, yeah, no, I worked with Tracy again in a hobby. She was great. Yeah, she seems very nice. <coughs> but she was gutted when Theresa May resigned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although she started doing Jeremy Corbyn, didn't she? But then... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, he, he's not going to be around much longer. No. Just no. dating your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um just as we kind of kind of wrap up a little bit um so you've talked about episodes and how how pleased you were with the arc of it and the the end of it and you know extras and the office so what in your career are you most proud of well obviously the office was the thing that put my name on the map so um I, i've always got to sort of hold that to my heart but there was one show that I was I really thought it was going to go huge and it never really hit those heights but it was a an adult puppet show called Mongrels for BBC Three um, and it was meant to be like Family Guy so very rude um, you know it, you could get away with so much because puppets were saying it and not adults uh, and the jokes were so edgy and it was a dream to edit and we did two series uh, on BBC Three. And it should have, just as they were going to commission a third series, and it was building momentum, a new commissioning editor came in and cancelled it, which happens quite a lot. So that sort of went by the wayside. 
So there's all these dead puppets in boxes somewhere in London just waiting to be revived. But um, if you get a chance, you should check it out on YouTube, Mongols. It is, um, it's really good. And we had, they had songs in it and we could do, there were no rules. It was like explosions. And, but, yeah. but there was a story to it and a real sort of love story. And, um, that sounds great. That's the thing that I'm, I'm really gutted that it never really uh, mm. took. Because it's not just about making good TV. It's also about the right timing and, you know, the people who are in it, whether they're popular and also how it's sold by the people who totally, made it. Yeah, it? yeah. I mean, I've done some great shows that have gone under the radar. And I've also done some shows that have been slightly rubbish <laughs> that have gone really big. So, uh, and I'm not going to tell you what ones they are. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just uh, it's just the way it goes. You know, I don't know. You can't be precious. Certainly, as an editor, you can't be precious because you're sort of so hidden in the background that you, uh, you you just sort of get on with things, and you're not going to get the abuse because you're so in the background that people don't really. Um, it does. I guess as a director, if you have a bad show it's hard to move on as an editor it's not seen as your fault so you can bury your demons a bit more and and with actors often they're they're building their profile building their profile and then they can make one wrong move and then they're kind of they're pegged right back yeah that's right yeah yeah but uh, with editors we definitely we're not in the limelight but maybe that's a good thing because we uh you know, we don't take a lot of the flack. I mean, I guess if you're doing a movie or something, you know, we're the first to get fired because we're an easy get out. Oh, really? Not that it's happened to me, but <laughs> I've heard. So start again, get rid of the editor. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it's like this isn't working. It's the editor's fault. Forget the writing and the script yeah. isn't good enough. And It's like when a football team gets a new manager and he comes in and sacks the boot boy, clears out yeah. all the backroom staff. Yeah, I'm the boot boy. <laughs> <laughs> but the... Um, uh, who are your heroes um, in the entertainment industry or just in general oh god well I've got some editing heroes but you it's a bit niche so no no um, absolutely we like niche well I mean Walter Murch is a legend who uh, I've seen talk at uh, BAFTA and whatever and he's done some amazing films he did the edited the conversation I think or he may have done sound on that but he edited Apocalypse Now, and he's just the, um, one of the Godfathers, I think. He's just a legend in what he does. And um, I cut a film last year, um, Horrible Histories, and I was thinking, this is my Walter Murch moment. <laughs> so I cut out these little uh, figures, these little heads, to put on the side of the monitors that represented the scale of the cinema, which is what <laughs> he does. And he edits standing up and all these oh, things. Oh, really? So, is that what he does? Yeah, yeah. It's a good tip. And he edits standing up? yeah. And it's the, I don't know if he still does. He's getting on a bit now. He's probably wow. retired, but uh, yeah. That's so he's cool. uh, he's my sort of editing legend. But there's you know I've got lots of friends around Soho that I editors that I really respect. Um, you know Gary Dolner's just done Fleabag and he's off mm. in America and he's he's doing fantastically well. Yeah. Fleabag's won won a, won a Golden Globe, didn't it? Or yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, Mark Everson is another editor mate of mine, and he's he edited the two Paddington films. Um, oh, and he's doing really yeah and he's they, both of them started off in tv and are sort of moving up so right maybe one day <laughs> yeah oh absolutely yeah what are your plans for the future then what do you, do you have any set in stone plans not really uh my visa's run out for america so i'm sort of toying with the idea of maybe uh trying to have another go out there just i, I don't want to live out there but it's brilliant to dip in and out um so david crane and um, jeffrey claric have got something that 
they spoke to me about. So there's a possibility that that might happen, but they need to sell it to a network. But um, that sounds really exciting. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's a few things in the pipeline, but uh, as a freelance editor, you're never quite sure how your year's going to pan out. Uh, I've had a few jobs that cancelled that you think, oh, this is going to be great, and then it all falls down, either they can't get the money or whatever. But So yeah, we'll just um, go with the flow, yeah. see what happens, don't get stressed. Yeah. <laughs> but broadly speaking, like um, I always think, you know, what would you, if you had your chance again, um, what would you do? But it seems that you, you've actually found something where you still pinch yourself that you're involved in this world and you're you're kind of here and you seem quite happy and oh, grateful man, to I be am, doing it. I am so lucky to do the job I do and to have the breaks I've had. And I, 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 I love the job that I do. And I, I think you've got to be a bit weird to be an editor because you are stuck in a room and you're sort of picking up the pieces of what other people have shot that might not be great. But I've got quite a tidy mind. So the fact that I can step back and watch it go out and then see my name at the end of it and create a bit of a buzz with it and it's the best job in the world my, i've tried to get my um son to get into tv and he's been on movie sets and film sets uh, studio sets and he doesn't get excited at all and i'm like what this is amazing how can you i still get such a buzz out of it all um, so yeah I'm really lucky to do what I do and I'd, if you're the right kind of person to get into editing I'd highly recommend it because I think it's a great job and comedy I'm laughing all day what can be better than that <laughs> fantastic well Nigel thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for, for talking to me no worries George um, do you want to look at more penises <laughs> <laughs> cheers <laughs>